Well, who was Elijah? Elijah was a prophet we find in the Old Testament. And when Elijah came on the scene, God's people had divided into two different kingdoms. There was a civil war going on. The Bible calls the northern kingdom the nation of Israel and the southern kingdom the nation of Judah. And they split because of some differences after Solomon died and they stayed in a divided state. Now the southern kingdom had, uh, I think around what, 17 different kings and about half of them had some bright moments. About half of them served God and had some moments of renewal and revival and restoration and wanted to follow the Lord and do the right thing. So the southern kingdom had some bright spots in terms of leadership. The northern kingdom was very different. Now, Elijah was sent by God to preach to the people of the northern kingdom, to the leadership of the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom had about, I think, 19 leaders. And out of those 19 kings, all of them were wicked. There were no bright spots. I mean, all of them were ungodly rulers. And so which kingdom does, does God send Elijah to? He sends him to the northern kingdom. He comes on the scene during the reign of the wicked king Ahab, who was married to a wife named Jezebel, who was a Baal worshiper. She worshipped a false pagan god, and Ahab followed her lead and worshipped a false pagan god and led all of the northern kingdom to worship a false pagan god. And so Elijah is sent by the one true God, sent by the Lord to say, this is wrong, you should not do this, judgment is coming, and God, if you remember, sends a famine on the land, no rain for three years, and then Elijah has this showdown on Mount Carmel with the Baal uh, prophets, and they had this contest. We'll both call out to our God, and whoever answers by fire is the one true God. And so the Baal prophets cry out uh, for their God to send fire. Of course, no fire comes because their God is not a real God. And then Elijah calls on the one true God. Fire falls from heaven, consumes the altar, and the people fall on their knees and say, the Lord, your God, Elijah, he is God. It was a tremendous victory on Mount Carmel. Then he prayed, and God sent rain. God sent relief from the devastation of, of drought in that area. But after that mountaintop, Mount Carmel experience, which is an awesome story, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, Elijah comes down the mountain and he hears that Ahab's wicked wife Jezebel, as R.G. Lee calls her, that coiling adder, the coiling adder Jezebel wanted to kill Elijah. And she's going to use all the resources of the kingdom to kill Elijah. So Elijah gets fearful, and Elijah gets discouraged, and Elijah even gets depressed. He runs into the wilderness, and he lays down by a brook and says, I'm ready to die. So he goes from the mountaintop of victory to the wilderness of discouragement and despair. And remember, we said last week, if it can happen to Elijah, it can happen to you. None of us are immune from going down difficult roads in our lives, and Elijah illustrates that. And we saw last week how God takes someone that is weighed down by anxiety and weighed down by discouragement and weighed down by depression and how he restores them and builds them up and helps them through that time. So last week was important. But we're going to fast forward because Elijah's not mentioned a whole, um, an entire, uh, a, whole, a whole lot more through the remainder of 1 Kings. Uh, there's one passage where he shows up to tell Ahab and Jezebel the judgment's coming because they took a vineyard from a man named Naboth. But I want to fast forward to 2 Kings, the first part of 2 Kings, where we see the end of Elijah's time on this earth. And what I want to talk to you tonight about is finishing well. Because Elijah is an example of a follower of the one true God that served him faithfully 
and served him faithfully until the Lord took him home. He is an example of someone that finished well. Now, I haven't finished well. I mean, I haven't finished yet. I'm not, I'm not the end of, of, of my journey. Uh, but um, this summer, we were in my hometown of Perry, Florida. And we took our kids. Perry just built a, a splash pad. You know, this, this had a little play area with water splashing everywhere. We took the kids. They were playing in the splash pad. And, and Claire and I were there. And I saw somebody kind of looking at me, you know, kind of looking. And, and I looked away. And they, I looked back. They were looking at me like they could kind of recognize me. Well, it was one of the young people that was a member of the first church I pastored. I pastored a Mount Gilead Baptist Church in between graduation from college and getting married to Claire before we came up here to go to seminary. So I had about six months of pastoring this, this uh, just country church out on a dirt road. Sweet, sweet folks. But this young man's name was Clint. So I recognized him, and I was glad I remembered his name. I said, Clint! And, and we began to talk, and he's married now. He has uh, a son, and we were just kind of catching up. I was asking him how he was, how his family was, how his sister was. And we were having a, a great conversation. And I got quiet for a moment, and here's what he said. He said, are you still preaching? Now, in that moment, I just had this moment of, of gratitude. That by God's grace, I was still preaching. I mean, how, how hard would it have been to say, no, I'm out now. Uh, this happened or, or that happened or this got me or that got me. I'm so, and it's not because Wade's good. It's because God's a God of grace, right? But it was just a kind of a, 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 a moment where God kind of whispered in my ear, don't you want to finish well? Don't you want to finish well? And so I'm not to the finish line yet. And none of us are at the finish line yet because we're all here, right? But when the finish line comes, whenever it comes, we want to be found faithful. We want to finish well. And Elijah is a great example of finishing well. So we're going to look at the end of his, his earthly life and look at this marvelous example. By the way, can you think of some, some people in the Bible that finished well? Think of some other people in the Bible that finished well. Can you think of some? Pop your head. Paul finished well. John. Okay. Stephen, yeah, Stephen finished well. He was preaching when he was stoned, martyred for preaching Jesus Christ. What a way to go, preaching, all right? What, any other ideas of people that finished well in the Bible? John the Baptist, yes, he finished well. Stood for righteousness, had his head cut off. Who else? I hear another name. Peter. Peter finished well. Uh, doesn't say it in the Bible, but church history records that Peter was crucified upside down. He was going to be crucified, but he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Savior. And so they turned him upside down and killed him like that, nailing him to wood. Absolutely. Thief on the cross finished well, because Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, and that's God's grace, isn't it? That his whole life was lived with his back turned to God. But in that moment, he turned to the Lord on the cross. He believed in Jesus. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. One thief did. Today you'll be with me in paradise. So yeah, he finished well. Not a very long time of serving God, but that's God's grace, isn't it? Uh, you can accept him even, even at your dying moment, and God's grace will, will save you and forgive you of your sins. And so those are some good examples of people that have uh, that, that finished well. I think Job's a good example of someone that finished well as far as we, uh, as far as Caleb finished well. Caleb was a, a fierce warrior for God, even in well into his 80s. And so he finished well. Uh, can you think of some people in the Bible that did not finish well? 
that did not finish walking in faithfulness to God. You think of some examples in the Bible? Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel. Remember, the Lord uh, called him, anointed him as king. We just studied 1 Samuel, and it ended really badly for Saul. He turned his back on God. God took the kingdom from Saul, gave it to a man after his own heart named David, and Saul was um, destroyed by the Philistines. He basically committed suicide in his dying moments. He did not finish faithfully walking with God. Who's someone else that did not finish well? Judas obviously did not finish well, right? He betrayed Jesus and hung himself overwhelmed by the guilt of that, uh, of that act. He, he did not finish well. Do you think anybody else didn't finish well? Lot, yeah, Lot didn't finish, yeah, Lot didn't finish well at all. After he was delivered from uh, Sodom and Gomorrah with his family, he uh, got drunk and had uh, relations with his daughters and just a mess, uh, just, just a mess. Uh, talking, about, talking about just uh, depravity. We see depravity played out there. What about uh, Solomon? Solomon. You know, David, his father, he had it set up for Solomon. He got all the materials together for Solomon to build the temple. Remember, David wanted to build it, and God said, no, you're not the man. Your son's going to build it. And so David said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to set it up for him. So David got all the, the pieces together and had it set up. So all Solomon had to do was come in, after David and be the king and make sure that it was built and lead the kingdom after the example of his father David. And God was helping him because you remember early on when the Lord appeared to Solomon, he said, ask me for whatever you want. And Solomon said, give me discernment so I can rule this great people of yours. So God gave him wisdom, great wisdom. And we see early on in his reign that he's, he's ruling by this wisdom and the kingdom is prospering. They're growing, they're living in peace, they are becoming more and more uh, prosperous because of his great wisdom and ruling. But listen to me, wisdom has to be applied. And even though he had the wisdom, God gave him the wisdom, he stopped applying it. And he started marrying all these foreign wives and how these foreign concubines who were worshippers of false gods, and they led his heart astray to where he began to worship false gods. Solomon did not finish well. Another, another example of the danger of an unguarded life. And so we could go on talking about different characters. The Bible has people that finish well, and the Bible shows us people that do not finish well. The Bible, by the way, is a real book, isn't it? Even people that have heroic moments, the Bible's real, they blow it. I.e. Noah. Read about Noah. After Noah's ark, he had planted a vineyard and then got really, really drunk on the, from the vineyard that he planted and, and had a, an embarrassing moment with his sons. And so uh, Noah did not... Uh, did not finish well after the ark. And so we want to, to be on guard, and we want, to, we want to live faithfully for the Lord, even until the Lord takes us home. What a, what a tragedy it would be to live a faithful life, but in the, the final moments of your life, the final lap of your life, you don't finish well. You take the wrong path. You dishonor the Lord with your life. What a tragedy that would be. So what's the context here of 2 Kings chapter 1? We see that the king after Ahab of the northern kingdom of Israel was a man named Ahaziah, who was Ahab's son. And we know that Ahaziah was uh, a worshiper of false gods. Look what it says there in chapter 1, verse 1. Now Moab rebelled against Israel. This is another kingdom that wanted to come against Israel. This is they rebelled after the death of Ahab. After a king died, it was a, a time of vulnerability for a kingdom because 
uh, other nations would try to come in their moment of transition and conquer them. It says, Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber, which was in Samaria, and became ill. So he fell and was critically ill from the fall. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I will recover from this sickness. And that, what does that tell you about the spiritual condition of Ahaziah? When he's sick, when he is in a very vulnerable place, he does not call upon the one true God. He does not call upon the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He does not call upon the God of the Hebrews. He calls upon a false God, Baal-zebub, asking for an answer from him whether he would get well. So this is an indicator of how dark he was as a ruler and how dark the kingdom was at this time. So that's the, that's the context here. Ahaziah's ruling, he falls, he wants to know if he's going to get well. Enter again Elijah. And God's going to send Elijah to tell this king and his uh, followers some things about the one true God. And what we see here is we see some characteristics emerge from Elijah's life that I believe are characteristics of those who finish well. So what I want to do tonight is I want to give you three characteristics, three characteristics of those who finish well. These are things that by God's grace, for God's glory, we want to emulate, we want to live out so we can make it to the finish line faithfully serving God, honoring God with our life. Number one, the first characteristic of those who finish well is consistent obedience. Consistent obedience. So, Ahaziah falls through the roof, okay? There's a lot of stories of people falling in the Bible. Uh, one of my favorites is over in Acts when Paul's preaching. A guy named Eutychus falls out of the window and has to be brought back to life. He fell asleep while Paul was preaching. That, that story offends me. Verse 3 says, But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Good question. Are you going to inquire of this false god because there's not a true god? The answer, of course, is no, there is a true god. You should be going to him. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah's job is to go and tell Isaiah, you should not be worshiping false gods. You should not be inquiring of false gods. There is a true God. You should be coming to him. So because you have turned your back on the one true God, you are going to die as an act of God's judgment on your life. So, again, Elijah is given this task of going to the most powerful man in his nation and delivering a very unpopular message, just like he did to Ahab. Remember, when he first comes on the scene in chapter 17, he goes to Ahab and says, Ahab, it's not going to rain for three years. See ya. This, these are tough messages that God calls Elijah to preach. So what does Elijah do? He's older by, at this time, and he could have said, you know what, I, I've paid my dues, I, I've done the time, Lord, it's, someone, it's time for somebody else to go preach the hard messages. I, I'm, it's time for me to go retire, take some time off, someone else can step up to the plate. Can I tell you how many times I've heard that in church life? It's time for somebody else to do this. I've been serving for such and such a time, and it's time, time for some other people to step up. Well, it may be time for other people to step up, but who said you are to stop, stop serving God? Where's that in the Bible? Is it in the Bible? Can you find that in the Bible? First opinions? That was so. 
Serve to your last breath. That's right. And so, what does Elijah do? When God gives him this very hard task, look at the end of verse 4. Then Elijah departed. Okay, I'll do what you tell me to do. This is a picture of consistent obedience. And here is our goal, following Elijah's example. Our goal is to be just as ready to go in obedience as we were in our early Christian life. Our goal should be to be just as ready to go, to be obedient as we were in our early Christian life. You remember what it was like when you were saved. You remember what it was like when you first started serving God. You were excited. You were engaged. You were fervent. You were passionate. But if we're not careful, that passion can wear off and we can start to just sit on the sidelines and become spectators. Aren't you glad that Elijah gives us an example of, of staying in the game, of obeying God even when times were difficult, even when he was older. So how was Elijah obedient to God? What does his obedience look like? Well, let me give you three things here. Elijah was, first of all, obedient with his steps. Verse 4, then Elijah departed. He went where God told him to go. He went where God told him to go, his steps. And we need to be obedient with our steps. We need to be willing to follow Jesus, whatever that means for our lives. Like the song we sing often in our church during the invitation time, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. We sing that all the time. How many of us really mean that? Wherever you lead, God, wherever you tell me to go, I will go. I mean, we're sending church planners out literally all over the United States right now. Different places. D.C., South Dakota, Sioux City. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had some folks to say, we want to go help. We have some folks doing that, by the way. That's happening right now. But folks say, you know what? I'll, I'll sell my house. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make some inquiries up there and try to find a job with this church plant or this church plant. I'll move up there and just be a member and serve and help this new church plant get started. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? What's stopping us from doing that? Why does that sound so extraordinary to us? New Testament happens all the time. I mean, they're here in this city, and they see somebody over there who needs a church, and they send some people out and go start a church. Are we willing to go wherever God tells us to go? Are we willing to follow Him with our steps? Oh, Elijah was obedient with the steps. Secondly, Elijah was obedient with his words. Look in verse 5. When the messengers returned to him, he, he said to them, Why have you returned? They said to him, A man came up to meet us and said to us, Go return to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, is, because it is, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but shall surely die. And so what does Elijah do here? He, he intersects these, mission, these messengers on their mission. He says, listen, go back to your king and tell him this message from God. And so Elijah speaks, listen, exactly what God wants him to speak. He's obedient with his tongue. Now I want you to hear me for a minute. Did you know you can, you can miss finishing well? Because of sins of the tongue. Instead of speaking truth. Instead of speaking the things of God. 
obedient with your speech. You're, you speak things that tear down. You speak things that discourage. You speak things that wound. We don't want to become jaded, grumpy, cynical, biting. We want God to use our speech to speak truth into others' lives until God takes us home. Amen? J- James says there's power in the tongue. It's, it's a really small uh, muscle, but there's power there. It has power to destroy. It has power to delight. It has power to direct your life. It's like a rudder guiding a ship. Our tongue should be used to speak the truth of God. Here is a message of judgment. But whatever God tells us to speak based upon His Word, we should speak truth into other people's lives because truth sets people free. We see Elijah speaking truth to Ahab. He spoke truth to Jezebel. And now, consistently obedient, he speaks truth to Ahaziah. So Elijah was obedient with his steps, obedient with his words. Third, he was obedient with his life. Look in verse 8. I love this. Ahaziah says, who came and talked to you? Who told you to give me this message? Look what they say. Verse 7, he says, they answer in verse 8. He was a hairy man with a leather girdle bound about his loins. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. He describes him, and immediately Ahaziah says, I know that guy. He's the guy who used to preach to my mom and dad. He's that guy that was a troublemaker in Israel. That's what Ahab called Elijah. And just by this description, he knows Elijah. But what does he know about him? He knows he has consistently, courageously stood for the God of Israel. Right? That's what he knows about him. He doesn't like that, but he knows that's true about his life. Here's the deal. What do people know about your life? When it's all said and done, when they look at your life and just know that you've consistently served the Lord. You consistently followed Him and obeyed Him and loved Him with your life. Elijah was consistently obedient with his steps, with his words, and with his life. And that should be our goal. Everyone in this room, our goal, if we want to love Jesus and honor God, is to be just as ready to be obedient today and tomorrow as we were in our early Christian life. I'm so grateful for Elijah's example of consistent obedience. And listen, he's doing hard stuff here. It's not easy obedience. This is hard obedience, but he's willing to be obedient. Number two. The second characteristic of those who finish well is courage. Courage. Look in verse 9. Then the king, Ahaziah, sent to him, that's Elijah, a captain of 50 with his 50. And he went up to him, and behold, he was sitting on the top of the hill, and he said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah replied to the captain of 50, If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. So he again sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50. And he said to him, O man of God, thus says the king, come down quickly. Elijah replied to them, If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Pretty dangerous to go arrest Elijah, isn't it? So he again sent the captain of a third 50 with his 50. When the third captain of 50 went up, he came and bowed down on his knees before Elijah. This guy was smart. He begged him and said to him, O man of God, please let my life and the lives of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the first two captains of 50 with their 50s, but now let my life be precious in your sight. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, look at this, 
Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Verse 17. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. And because he had no son, Jehoram uh, became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now what's happening here? Elijah is under immense pressure. He's being hunted by the king's elite forces to take him captive. And Elijah makes this conscious decision. Every time he's confronted, I'm not going to compromise. You can arrest me or God can consume you by fire, but I'm not going to compromise. Even the Lord says, go back and speak to Ahaziah face to face. Don't fear. And Elijah courageously goes back and speaks to the king in his face. He never compromises. He never backs away and says, well, maybe God didn't mean that. Or, you know, maybe it's okay to worship Baal too if you want to. Whatever works for you, whatever. No, Elijah is a picture of consistent courage. It does not take courage to compromise. But it does take courage to stand on your convictions as long as God gives you breath. That's finishing well, is it not? Standing on your convictions as long as God gives gives you breath that takes courage and i want you to know that just like elijah was being intimidated and hunted by an evil king and his army forces we are under assault our value system our belief system our our morals are under assault in our culture and and what our culture wants is it wants to get us to back away from what we know to be true like they don't care if if we believe it, they just don't want us to stand for it. You know what I mean? They don't want us to, to, to make a big deal. They don't want us to speak it into other people's lives. They want us to back away from what we know to be true, the very word of God. So if we're going to be like Elijah, we've got to be courageous and stand for the truth and stand for right and stand for uh, morality and values and integrity, even if it's very unpopular to do so. And to finish well, we've got to do that until the Lord takes us home. It could be easy as times get harder. It could be easy for us to begin to, to back away from truth. But like Elijah, we should not have that option. We should stand courageously. Now, you know the difference between an opinion and a conviction? I like this quote from Ravi Zacharias. I think it's there in your notes. Is that in your notes? Ravi Zacharias quotes in your Okay. An opinion is a position you hold with a very degree of intensity that merely voices your preference. So I could say, you know, Florida State University has the best football team in the nation right now. That would be a, a really well-reasoned, well-educated opinion. But, but, you know, it's an opinion. Because someone may disagree with me, say something like, you know, your team's the best team, but we don't want to go there because I'm right. So an opinion... An opinion is a position we hold with very degrees of intensity. We know what opinions are. A conviction is totally different. A conviction is that which is rooted in your conscience. I like that. Rooted in your conscience. It's something you believe with every fiber of your being. It's something that you will not back away from. Like the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. We can't back away from that. Because if we... If we share with our, with our culture that there's another way to God besides Jesus, we're lying to them. And we're sending them into eternity 
on the basis of a lie, right? We can't back away from the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved, and the most loving thing we can do is to declare to a lost, dying world that you need Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, you will spend eternity separated from him in that awful place called hell. That's not unloving. That's the most loving thing we can do is to tell folks the truth. I would submit the most, it would be unloving if we lied to folks. But the most loving thing we could do is tell people the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. I believe the Bible is the word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, I believe it is truth with no mixture of error. I believe that with every fiber of my being. That's not an opinion, it's a conviction, right? We can't back away from that. We've got to stand by the stuff, stand by what we know to be true. We could go on and on and on, but we need to stand for what's right. I believe that God designed uh, sexual intimacy to, it, as a gift for humanity to be enjoyed in the loving boundaries of marriage between one man and one woman. And everything outside of that, sexual intimacy between one man and one woman in the boundaries of marriage is sin and destructive and will destroy your life. The Bible teaches that. And for us to back away from that is to, is to lead people astray. I could go on and on, but we need to have courage, right? We need to have courage. Number three. What does a life look like that finishes well? Consistent obedience, courage, but third, continuation. Continuation. So what do you mean by continuation? Think about it like this, and this is in your notes. We all have a set number of days in which to serve God. Right? And I don't know how many number of days you have, and you don't know how many number of days I have, but here's what we know. We're one day closer than we were yesterday. Right? Every one of us in this room, we're one day closer to eternity than we were yesterday. And so we have a set number of days. Jesus knows how many days we have. He's given them to us as a gift. Now, in light of this, in light of we have a set number of days to serve God, Jesus says over in John 9, while it is light, while it is day, serve him. We, we ought to have two goals, two goals in light of this reality. The first one is this. When the Lord comes for us, we should have the goal that he will find us living faithfully. That's what I mean by finishing well. When the Lord comes for us, that he will find us living faithfully. Now we're going to see the Lord come for Elijah here. Great passage. I mean, Elijah lived a really cool life. Hard life, but it was really cool. Look what it says in chapter 2. It came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven. Pause. Did you hear what he just said? When the Lord was about to take Elijah up by a whirlwind to heaven. How's that for drama? Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now, Elisha was his young protege that God had raised up to be a companion for Elijah in his ministry. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elijah said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know, be still. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. You know what I get from this? 
Elijah hated goodbyes. I, I, I do not like goodbyes. I really don't. I love to, I, if I can just kind of slip away without a, you know, a tearful, I, I do not like goodbyes. I dread them when I know I've got to say goodbye to somebody for a long period of time and it's going to be sad. I, I hate it. I, look, I, I, I don't look forward to it. And I get the sense here that Elijah is not looking forward to saying goodbye. He loves Elisha and, and he, he doesn't want that, that you know, tearful, emotional moment. He says, you stay here in Jericho. I'm going to go over here. And... So it says in verse uh, 4, they came to Jericho and the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be still. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. So Elisha is not going to let him get away with just slipping away. He's going to make him, you know, have that emotional goodbye, right? Now, 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters. And this is important. You need to put this in the back of your mind. Struck the waters and they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. So wait, that's no big deal. Why don't you try it? Walk up to a river and take off your coat and hit the water and see if it parts for you. Pretty big deal, right? When they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, please let a double, I love this, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. You ever heard someone say when they talk about someone they admire, if I could be half the man that so-and-so was, I'll consider my life a success, right? But Elisha doesn't say, I want to just be half the man you are, Elijah. He says, I want to be double the man you are. I want God to give me a double portion of your spirit. He wants to really be used by God. I like that. So... Verse 10, he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if it not, it shall not be so. So you need to be watching because if you see me taken away, you'll get what you're requesting, a double portion of the Spirit of God on your life to let you do greater things than I did. As they were going along and talking, behold, this is really cool, there appeared a chariot of fire. A chariot of fire. Can you imagine what that would look like? A chariot of fire and horses of fire which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by whirlwind to heaven. Elijah saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. And he took hold of his own clothes. He sad and tore them into two pieces, a symbol of grief. So what happens here? Elijah and his protege, Elisha, are walking along. By the way, if you want to keep those two straight, remember Elijah came before Elisha. J comes before S in the alphabet. Elijah, Elisha. That help you? Okay, all right. That's how I remember it. So just, it's a mnemonic device to help you out. Um, so Elijah, the older, the one that came first, walking, walking, walking along with Elisha, and Elisha sees him taken up to heaven. Now how does this happen? A whirlwind, a chariot of fire. I mean, this is pretty cool stuff. Uh, one of my favorite Christian artists from, from a ways back now, his name is Rich Mullins, he wrote a song, uh, called Elijah, and he said, when I leave, I want to go out like Elijah. <laughs> who, who wouldn't want to go out like that, right? If we could just avoid the whole dying thing, right, and God just come and swoop us up and take us heaven, that would be pretty cool. We know that happened to a man named Enoch over in Genesis chapter 5. He did not die, but the Lord just took him up to heaven. Pretty incredible stuff happening there. We are talking about that a few minutes ago before we started. Pretty incredible stuff there. But God uh, honors Enoch and honors Elijah by taking them straight on to heaven. Uh, so what happened? When the Lord came for Elijah, Elijah was walking in obedience. He was living a faithful life. And isn't that all of our goal? 
whether it's the rapture, or whether it's a chariot of fire, or whether it's death that causes our transition into eternity, don't you want to be faithful, faithfully living for Jesus when that time comes? That's what we get from Elijah. He was walking in faithfulness when the whirlwind, when the chariot of fire came for him. And so we have a set number of days, and our goal should be that because we have a set number of days, when the Lord comes for us, he will find us living faithfully. That's what happened with Elijah. And you say, well, is this a biblical idea to, to be, be faithfully living when God comes back? Well, turn to 1 Thessalonians with me very quickly. 1 Thessalonians, New Testament, chapter 5. Verse 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come, like just a, will come just like a thief in the night. Now, the day of the Lord was a Old Testament phrase. It speaks of end times. It speaks of God's coming judgment and God's coming deliverance for his saints. It was a, a phrase that really referred to the entire end time scenario in many places. I think that's how Paul's using it here. When, it, when the end of time comes, is what he's saying. When the day of the Lord comes, look what he says. It will come like a thief in the night. In other words, it will be unexpected by many. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. In other words, if you're a believer in Christ, the, 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 the coming of the end should not surprise you. You know you have a set number of days, and Jesus could come back before you even die. He says, You are all sons, verse 5, of light and sons of day, we are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. So here's what Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica. Stay alert. Live faithfully. When he comes, may he find you in the armor of God, living faithfully, not walking down roads of darkness. Look what he says over in 2 Peter chapter 3. Turn a few more pages. Near the back of your Bible. Second Peter 3, verse 10. Peter writes, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are, by the way, the earth and its works will be burned up to make room for the new heaven and the new earth, which will be where we spend eternity. That's pretty cool, right? That's an entirely different study. But he says, The earth and its works will be burned up. Verse 11. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Since you know the end is coming, you have a set number of days, when, when it comes, you should be found living lives of holiness, living lives of godliness, looking forward, hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements with melt will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. And so what he's saying here is when the, the end times come, 
if the Lord comes back in your lifetime, and that's how it ends, your, your life on earth ends like that, make sure He finds you spotless, blameless, righteous, integrity, following Jesus. That should be our goal. Now there's a second goal we ought to have in light of this reality. It was a set number of days in which to serve God. The second goal is this. To invest in people so that our influence will outlive our life. To invest in others so that our influence will outlive our life. It's possible, I want you to understand, it's possible for you to outlive your life. To make impact in others even after you're no longer physically here. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Now, if that's true, we should all be saying, sign me up for that, show me how to do that. Because we don't have forever on this earth, but we can make an impact far beyond our days on this earth. An example of this is Lottie Moon. Uh, there's a Christmas offering named after her. We take up an offering every Christmas, and it goes to international missions. And Lottie Moon lived in the late 1800s. She was a single woman all of her life. She was, at one point, uh, engaged to be married to a bright, young brilliant uh, seminary professor. But she walked away from this marriage because this man she was engaged to turned away from the doctrines of the faith. And he went down a very liberal pathway and did not hold to the inerrancy of Scripture. And so Lottie Moon said, you know, I love you and I want to be married, but I love Jesus more. And she had the courage of her convictions to walk away from getting married to this man. So she lived the rest of her life as a single woman and she eventually went to China by herself, planted her life in China, sharing the gospel with towns and with cities in the midst of great conflict and warfare in that nation. And, and the reason Lottie Moon is so well known is because she wrote letters back to Southern Baptist churches here in the States, and her letters are so compelling and so convicting. She says things like this, Where are all the men? Why are there no young men over here planting their lives to be missionaries? Where are they? Pretty convicting, right? And, and she would ask for prayer and for support and challenge people to, to, to go to the nations with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so she's been dead for well over 100 years, and yet she's still speaking into our lives. That's influence, isn't it? Her, her, her legacy has outlived her life. And, and we want to leave a legacy that outlives our life, and we do that by investing in others. Look with me in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy is probably my favorite Pauline letter. I don't know if I could say that. Definitely my favorite pastoral epistle. The pastoral epistles are 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. And, and I love 2 Timothy. But look what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. The reason I love 2 Timothy is because Paul's writing this. He knows the end of his life is near. He's about to be uh, killed by the Roman madman Nero for preaching the gospel. Nero was leading a systematic persecution of Christians, and because Paul was such a great leader, Nero was going to have him killed, and Paul knew this was coming. Paul was writing this letter from prison. He, I believe, believed that, that, that these could be the last words he would ever write to Timothy, his young protege that he loved so much. Timothy to Paul was like Elisha to Elijah. And look what he says in chapter 4, verse 6. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. That word departure was the word that was used of a ship uh, leaving a dock and setting sail across the ocean. 
And it's like Paul saying, my ship's about to sail. Look what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Oh, to be able to say those words when it's all said and done. Amen? I fought the good fight. I've, I've, I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. I've obeyed God in my life. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. So Paul here knows he's facing his, his end. But Paul also knew how to outlive his life. Look what he says to Timothy over in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He wants Timothy to do exactly what he had done for Timothy. Look what he says in chapter 2, verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Paul writes, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Isn't that good? Isn't that simple? Timothy, I taught you some things about Jesus, about the faith, about ministry, about obedience, about the Word of God, about the great doctrines of Christianity. Now, you go and share them with other folks, and you teach those folks how to take those things and share them with other folks. So there'll be this ongoing movement of, of things being passed on. And Paul knew that if Timothy would do that, that Paul would outlive his life. That his legacy could continue on through generations of new believers who are being taught the will and the way of God and the truths of God's Word. So our goal, in the light of a, a set number of days, our goal should be to invest in people so that our influence will outlive our life. Now, there are, there are different levels of investment that we all have. I think the first level of investment God gives us is our family, right? God designed us to have our closest relationships with those in our family. And so whatever your family situation is, look around and say, how can I invest in my family? How can I invest in, in if you're, uh, 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 you're married guys, how can I invest in my wife, help her to grow in Christ? How can I invest, moms and dads, how can I invest in my, in my children, grandparents? How can I invest in my grandchildren, uh, uncles and aunts? How can I invest in my nieces and nephews? How, 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 can I, how can I move them closer to Jesus? How can I teach them things they're going to need to know to walk with God and make a difference in this world? Who can you invest in in your family? And how are you investing? What plan do you have to invest in your family? So that if you, were, if, if, if you came to the end of your days, your life will live on, your influence will live on through them. And then we have, outside of our family unit, we have friendships. We can invest in our friendships. And, and we should encourage and edify and build up and, and help people that are our friends to walk with God and, and draw closer to Christ. Then we have I believe those relationships God gives us in the, in the body of Christ, our church family, brothers and sisters in Christ, we can encourage one another, edify one another, spur one another on to love and good works. And then I believe we should look for those relationships where we can take somebody and mentor them. We can be a Paul to a young Timothy or an Elijah to a young Elisha. And listen, you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to be a staff member to mentor somebody. You want to know the requirement to mentor somebody? You just have to love Jesus. I believe somebody that loves Jesus can mentor somebody, make a profound difference in someone else's life. But you've got to love Jesus. If you love Jesus, listen to me, if you love Jesus, walk with him every day, get in his word, be a person of prayer, and then you'll spend time with folks intentionally. This, mentoring doesn't happen by accident intentionally 
Hey, let's meet and drink coffee at McDonald's. Let's, hey, come over to my house for dinner. Uh, let's go uh, to the driving range together. Let's go, uh, let's go duck hunting. Let, you, know, you see what I'm saying here? Intentional about getting together with folks that, that could use some encouragement in their Christian walk. And by just you loving Jesus and being with them, helping them, encouraging them, giving them feedback on their life, you can help someone to grow just because you love Jesus, and that rubs off. The people I remember that have made a profound impact in my life are people that have just loved Jesus. Just, I mean, just, just radiated the love of Jesus Christ. My, the, the, the first lady I remember making a profound impact in my life was when I was growing up, her name was Helen Pitts. She was, seemed like she was my, my Sunday school teacher for years. She would just kind of move up with us. We didn't, have a, we didn't have a children's ministry. We just were a very small church. And, and so it seemed like every year, Miss Pitts was my Sunday school teacher. And, and she was a faithful, humble lady. And, and she just would just faithfully teach us the Word of God. I remember Miss Pitts teaching us how to put on the full armor of God from Ephesians chapter 6. She'd teach us young kids in the Sunday school how to pray Ephesians 6 over our lives. I remember that clearly. I remember Miss Pitts clearly investing in our lives and loving us and challenging us. She, she, she challenged us about stuff like giving and tithing, you know, um, and just wonderful, wonderful things. Uh, she's one of the only people I remember. Her and one other lady in my church are the only two ladies I remember, only two people I remember talking about missions at all in the church growing up. We didn't go on trips like we do. We, don't, we didn't send out short-term trips. Uh, we may have done some Lottie Moon. I don't remember much about Lottie Moon Christmas offering. But every now and then, Miss Whitten and Miss Pitts would get in front of the church, and they'd read from this magazine, WMU Magazine, just a kind of missionary moment. And, and they were the only, that's the only time I heard about missions. These ladies just loved the heart of God and loved the world. And I remember that even to this day. Miss Pitts was just a very, uh, very simple woman, never been to seminary. She was just a lady that loved Jesus and radiated Jesus. And she made a profound impact in my life that still lives on in my life today. See how that works? So love Jesus and be intentional about spending time with folks. Just, just hang out with folks. Learn the, learn the art of hanging out. It's hard because, listen to me, I, I understand busy, 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 and our, our culture is getting increasingly um, withdrawn. We're getting withdrawn from each other. You know, we, we get our house, we pull in our garage, and we close the garage behind us, right? We run inside, and we grab a bite, and we sit in our recliner, and we're checked out for the rest of the night. You've got to really make, you got to be intentional about spending time with folks. But I think if we'll love Jesus and do that, God will use our lives to influence others, and that influence will outlive our lives. That's continuation. Now, back in 2 Kings, this is what happens here. Let me show you this very quickly. We'll close. I got way ahead of myself. Let me show you the biblical basis here. Really cool story with Elijah and Elisha. 2 Kings chapter 2. So Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind of fire by a, cha uh, a chariot of fire by a whirlwind. And Elisha sees this in chapter 2. And um, let's see, where were we? Oh, um, 13. So he took up, so Elijah's gone. He takes up Elijah's mantle that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? I love that. Elisha goes to the water. He does the same thing Elijah did, right? Where did he learn to strike the water with a mantle? Where did he learn that from? Elijah. He doesn't ask the question, Okay, God, you can be with me like you were with Elijah. 
Are you going to come through here? What happens? Look what happens next. When he had also struck the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. You say, that's not a big deal. Try it. Try to do it in your bathtub. All right? Try to part the water in your bathtub. I'm telling you, this is a big deal. This is supernatural movement, power of God. And what God is doing is he's affirming to Elisha, I'm with you just like I was with Elijah. And the prophets of God see this from a distance. They know that God's hand is on Elisha. They follow him. They follow his lead. If you keep reading through 2 Kings, we're going to do some more study on Elisha in the coming weeks. But if you keep reading through 2 Kings, Elisha is mightily used by God. Some really incredible things happen as he lives with a double portion of God's spirit on his life. But Elisha learned how to be a prophet. Elisha learned how to walk by faith. And he learned courage and consistency and obedience from his mentor, Elijah. Elijah outlived his life, right? Continuation. That should be our goal. So what are some characteristics of those who finish well? Consistent obedience, courage, and continuation. And if those three things are realities in our life, by God's grace, we will finish well for the glory of God. Then people won't have to lie at your funeral. Wouldn't that be great? They can just show up and just tell the truth and it'll be good stuff, right? I don't want people to have to lie at my funeral, okay? And so, those are some characteristics of those who finish well. So pretty, pretty powerful stuff, pretty powerful stuff. And listen to me, you can't get here, you can't make it to the finish line intact, serving the Lord faithfully without God's help. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So I don't want you to walk out of this room tonight and say, I'm just going to try harder, I'm going to do better, and I'm going to be like Elijah. No, it, it's abiding in Christ. It's, it's staying close to Jesus and let Jesus give you the power to live this kind of life. Amen? Don't, you can't do this in your own strength. This, you, you need the Lord. You need, to just, you need to cling to Jesus every day of your life and just stay as close to Him as you can stay. And He'll give you the power. He'll give you the wherewithal. He'll give you the, the endurance to finish well.